Well, good morning again. It's good to see you all here this morning. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here at Chatham Community Church, and I'm glad y'all are here. Uh, it's great to see lots of new faces. If you are a guest, welcome. We're so glad you're here. What we're all about at Chatham Community Church is connecting people to God and to each other so that together we can engage our world for good. I hope you experience some of that this morning. Uh, at the end of the service, I'm going to be in the back under the emergency exit sign. Uh, come say hi. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your story, get to hear your name, how you found us, uh, and make sure you get one of our welcome gifts before you head out. The late 90s and early 2000s were a time of dominance for the Western Conference of the NBA. For those of you that don't know how the NBA finals work, uh, the NBA is divided into two conferences, the Eastern Conference, which comprises the teams on the eastern half of the country, and the Western Conference that comprises the teams on the western half of the country. After they play their regular season games, the best teams from the west and the best teams from the east play in a tournament-style format, uh, until there's the best team from the West, or the team that wins that, that tournament, and the team that wins from the East. And in the early 90s and, and early aughts, uh, late 90s, sorry, and early aughts, the Western Conference teams dominated. Depending on where you sort of uh, set the limits of, uh, of the range you want to measure, something like, more, like 85% of the time, the Western Conference team won the NBA Finals, won the NBA Championships, and the 2004 Finals looked to be no different. The Los Angeles Lakers headed to the NBA Finals with, four, with these four men as part of their starting five. All four of them would go on to be NBA Hall of Famers. At the time, they were all locked, deadlocks for Hall of Fame. They were already dominant. Uh, they're not just NBA Hall of Famers. Recently, the NBA, to celebrate its 75th anniversary, uh, made a list of the 75 greatest players of all time. That's 75 players across 75 years, across multiple teams. All four of those men made that list. 75 best players of all time. They were headed to the finals representing the West, and they were facing the Detroit Pistons, whose starting five looked like this. At the time, none of those was a future Hall of Famer. In fact, so far, only one of them has made it, and likely only one of them will be inducted into the Hall of Fame. None of them made the top 75 of all time. It seemed like a done deal, except, except that basketball is one of those sports where victory is a balance of some sort between individual ability and teamwork. And that was a problem for the Lakers that year. Some of those new superstars who had recently joined the team were having trouble uh, managing the offense that Phil Jackson, one of the greatest coaches of all times, implemented there. But also, Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal were locked in sort of an ego battle to see, to see who was the most important to the team's success. Who was the leader of the team? On the other hand, the Pistons, with no superstars on that team, were a well-oiled machine of teamwork. Like, they functioned with excellence. That was the core of who they were. That was sort of the ethos of how they won. Their coach drilled into them, and they drilled into themselves, we are a team, and we will function as a team. So it's no surprise, then, that the Pistons ended up winning. In fact, it wasn't even close. They dominated the NBA Finals. Superstars, in that instance, weren't enough. Great individual performers were not enough. It may have been enough to get them to soar to a great record in that season. 
It was clearly enough to get them to soar beyond all other Western Conference foes and make it all the way to the finals. They did that on the back of great individual talent without figuring out the teamwork. But without figuring out the teamwork, they couldn't soar all the way. They couldn't soar to the championship. See, for some things, you need a team. For some things to soar in some areas, you need a good team. This is the third week in a series at Chatham Community Church that we have titled Soar. And when we talk about soaring, we're talking about thriving, about flourishing, about doing things that make a difference, about leaving a legacy that lasts. These are the kinds of lives we all want to live. We all want to do something like that, to flourish, to thrive, to do something that makes a difference, to leave a legacy. And we all have that inside of us because we were made to soar. We were made for lives that flourish. We were made for lives that thrive. We were made to make a difference. We were created to leave a legacy. But all of what soaring is cannot be experienced alone. And so today we're going to talk about the idea that we're not just made, it's not just that we were made to soar, but it's that we were made to soar together. We weren't just made to soar, we were made to soar together. So if you have a Bible, would you go ahead and find Exodus chapter 17? That's where we're going to be reading today. Uh, we're going to be reading Exodus. It's the second book of the Bible, so you should get there rather quickly, and we'll be in chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, don't have access to a Bible, uh, don't worry about it. It's going to be on the screen. And so we'll start reading in verse 8 of chapter 17. Here we go. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with a sword. Now, the Israelites had recently been liberated from years of captivity and enslavement in Egypt, and they were navigating their way to a land that God had promised them. Uh, Moses was the leader, and they arrived at Rephidim. And when they arrive at Rephidim, they have their first experience of a conflict that comes from another people. They had experienced conflict with the Egyptians already, but they had sort of cleared that out. They had overcome that conflict. They were headed towards the promised land. And here is this other peoples, and they are in conflict with them. Their stay at Rephidim is now under threat. But in fact, it had already been threatened. See, they weren't just facing opposition externally. When they arrived at Rephidim, the Israelites started to grumble against Moses. They started to quarrel. They started to complain. They started to fight because they, 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 they felt like they didn't have enough access to water. They were having trouble getting water. So Rephidim turns out to not be a great spot for Moses. He's experiencing attacks from without and attacks from within. His life at this point is pretty chaotic. If he thought that once he cleared the Israelites out of Egypt, once the Red Sea was parted, once they were clear of all that, things were going to be smooth sailing here, he is clearly finding out that he was wrong. 
has a chance here. There's an opportunity here. There's a, there's a, there's a moment where he could crash here. He's already struggled a lot. He's already led well. He's already overcome lots of things, and he's not in the clear. His life is back to chaos. He could crash and burn, but he doesn't. He soars here. He soars here because he connects to God, right? He has the staff of God's power in his hand. It's a staff God has told him he can do miracles with. He could achieve certain things with, and he's also got a team around him. He's got trusted people around him, and in the midst of chaos, those two things, the power and presence of God and the team with him make all the difference. When life gets chaotic, being in touch with the power and presence of God and having a good team of people around us and with us can make all the difference between whether we crash and burn or whether we soar higher and higher. Uh, Right about this time, I'm, I'm... Uh, it's been a year since I took a six-week leave of absence from my work here at this church because there was a crisis in my family. Things got chaotic at home. There was lots of chaos, lots of uncertainty, lots of uncertainty. And as the days progressed, as the weeks progressed, it started to become clear that my marriage was ending. And friends, crashing and burning was a very real possibility in the midst of all that. It was a very real option that I could have taken. And I can't explain a year later coming out of it as well as I did, as healthy as I am, if not for the fact that I had access to God's presence and God's power, and I had people around me. Not just people, good people. Y'all, many of you, were around me. There were friends. There were colleagues. There was a small group that was there for me. There was prayer. There was provision. There was presence. Through it all, in the midst of chaos and uncertainty, I was able to soar. I was able to soar because y'all helped me. Y'all helped me soar. God was with me. Having good people around us will always help us soar when things get shaky and when we feel like we might crash. So I know, I suspect that there are some of us who are in moments like Moses. We're in crisis moments where it feels like things are threatening us from within and things are threatening us from without. We feel like we're at Rephidim. Maybe we felt we had passed all that. We had already gotten through so much and we felt like it was time for rest, time for things to go well, and things just happened to ramp up. And soaring is feeling like it's getting hard. Maybe for some of us, soaring feels out of reach. Maybe for some of us, we already feel like we're in a plummet. Maybe some of us feel like we can see the ground closer and closer and closer, and we don't know how to make a turn. So take a moment, if that's you, assess how steady is your connection to God right now. There's no guilt, no shame if it feels like it's not. It's actually an invitation because God is at the ready for the connection, for the presence and the power. And after that, assess, do you have the right people around you? Shamelessly, are you connected to a small group? Right, I don't say that just because today we have a small group concierge and this is our small group recruitment season. I say that because from personal experience, that made a difference in my life. That kept me from crashing and burning. And I know it will do the same for you or it can do the same for you. But beyond that, if you've got the right people, are you letting them help you soar? 
Do they know that you're in a free fall? Do they know that things are shaky? Do they know that you need help? Now, I'm not going to assume that all of us are going through crisis, but that doesn't mean that we don't need others to soar. Moses doesn't wait until the crisis to establish his connection to God. He doesn't obtain the staff in the midst of crisis. He's been developing his connection to God over the course of a long time. That's why it's there, accessible. That's why you can think of it in the moment. And Moses doesn't wait until the crisis to conjure up Joshua, Aaron, and her. Right? They haven't materialized out of nowhere. There is a pre-existing relationship. That's why Moses knows he can count on them in this moment. Now, can you connect to God in the midst of a crisis for the first time or for the first time in a long time? Like, it's not too late when you're in a crisis. You can absolutely reach out to God. You can cry out to him if you've never cried out to him. You can cry out to him if you've never believed in him. You can cry out to him if you're not sure that he's real. You can cry out to him in the midst of crisis. And God will meet you. I believe that. I know that to be true. The scriptures teach that. And is it possible also to forge bonds with people for the first time when you're in crisis? I'm sure it is. That's not the question. The question is when you're in the midst of crisis, will you think of those things? Will it occur to you to cry out to God? Will it occur to you to seek out people? What's true is that most of the time, people default to what they know in the midst of crisis. People default to what they're used to. People default to what's habitual. And if you always go at it alone, if that's what you've accustomed yourself to, then in the midst of crisis, the crisis is going to occupy your thoughts and you're more likely to go at it alone there as well. In crisis, you will more than likely default. What you need when you find yourself in places like Rephidim needs to be developed before. It needs to be developed before you get there. And beyond that, people and God aren't good just for the crisis. The good stuff in life is enjoyed to a higher degree. We soar higher in the good stuff when we have people around us and when we have God. So let's take a look at what's been developed in this group, what we see come out as they're soaring together in the midst of this crisis. One thing we see is that everyone has a part to play in soaring together. Now, Moses is undoubtedly, indisputably, the point leader of the Israelites. Indisputably. He is the point leader. He's been leading the people out of Egypt. He was leading the process of getting them out of Egypt, and he's the one leading them through the wilderness. But do you notice he's not on the front line in this one? In this instant, Moses' part to play is to provide wisdom and to provide encouragement. He calls on the power of God. He leads, but he's not the one leading the charge. That's not his part to play in this one. Sometimes our part to play is to bring wisdom, to bring encouragement. There are different ways to lead. There are different ways to be part of the process. It's Joshua who happens to be on the front line in this one. He is the one out there taking the risk. He is the one out there putting his skin in the game, so to speak. He is organizing the masses. He is mobilizing them. He is reminding them to look to where Moses is and to see the staff up in the air. He is leading the charge. Don't we all need people like that? Some of us are those people who will just jump right in into the thick of it, right? We'll organize the people. We'll lead the charge. We will risk it. We will put our necks on the line. 
Another thing I love about this is that Joshua is not of Moses' generation. Joshua is in the next generation. There is a gift when we're able to develop it of having intergenerational relationships, and that's true in this one as well. See, this is not just an opportunity for Joshua to lead the charge. This is preparation for when it's his turn to be the point leader, which will be coming at some point in the future. Moses, uh, Moses develops this relationship with him and gives him opportunities. One of the things I love about our church is how many intergenerational relationships we have the opportunity to develop. How many people from the boomer generation I get to be friends with? How many Xers I get to be friends with? How many people from Gen Z I get to have conversations with? It? And even the, conversa- the generation that's coming up beyond that one. The opportunity to hear how they experience faith, how they engage in mission, how they serve together is a gift when we can develop it. There's a gift in intergenerational community. Then we've got Aaron and Ur. And Aaron and Ur in this instance are playing purely supporting and troubleshooting roles. Their job in this is to make sure that Moses can see the process through, make sure he makes it across the finish line. We need all those kinds of people in our lives. Sometimes we need to play those roles in different times. Friends, and in this instance, no part is less important. No part is less important. No part is less crucial to the soaring together. If any one of them had been missing, if any one of them had chosen to not play their part, they would not have been able to soar. And none of them could have accomplished this on their own. It took all of them together to achieve this victory, to get through Rephidim. A few weeks ago, I had a very Chatham County experience. I had the opportunity to take part in a chicken processing day. I was... Some of the people involved in that are laughing. Um, very, it's a very Chatham... In fact, it's, it's not just a very Chatham County, it's a very deep Chatham experience. A small group went in on uh, 130 chickens, give or take, and they, they hatched them, they grew them, and I was able, I was, I'm friends with the small group, so I was included in this process as well, and uh, you know, we, we, we poured in money for these chickens, and the day came where they had to pay the debt. So, so you know, to process 130 chickens in one day is an endeavor. It's an endeavor. Uh, and we had multiple stations, and what was beautiful about that day wasn't just that we got to process 130 chickens in one day, which is an accomplishment, but that each of us had a role to play, every role was important, and no one was shamed or embarrassed if there was one role that they really didn't want to play. I, for example, wanted nothing to do with excrement or with disemboweling. Like, I could not handle that stuff, and I was not going to go run and chase after chickens. I played a particular role. Uh, I, 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 I was the one who welcomed the chickens into the afterlife, so to speak. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't shame the people who were squeamish about blood, and they didn't shame me because I was squeamish about other things and didn't want to be part of that. All of us played our role. And if any one of us were missing, we would not have made it that day. The chickens may not have soared, but we did. We did. No one of us would have been able to process 130 chickens in one day. But together, we were able to accomplish it. We can't do alone the things that can only be done together. You may be satisfied with a life where you only accomplish the things that you can do alone. 
Let me challenge you and say there's more for you. You're missing out on a great deal of life. But you'll only achieve it if you're willing to soar together. Because there are things you can only do if you're willing to soar together. We cannot soar alone in the ways, to the heights, and in the circumstances for which we were made to soar together. Another thing we see in this community as they are soaring in this moment is that soaring together takes humility, trust, and flexibility. The dynamic between Moses, Aaron, and her is really interesting in this situation. You, if you're not familiar with the Bible, you, would not, you may not know that Aaron is a leader in his own right. He is the leader of worship. In fact, he is, he is Moses' right-hand man in particular situations, the voice to speak for Moses in particular situations. He leads people in worship. And based on what we see him do later, it's likely that Ur is already a frontline leader of people as well. These two men are capable of doing so much more than holding Moses' hands up. But they don't let their egos get in the way of what it's going to take to soar in this moment. They see that Moses is getting tired. They know what's at stake. They know what it's going to mean to soar. And so they go and get him something to sit on. And then they hold his arm ups, his arms up. That was their role to play in this moment. And they were humble enough to engage with it. They trusted the community enough. They trusted this grouping enough to know that that didn't mean that they were any less of, of leaders. And they were flexible enough. Maybe they went up there just to watch with Moses, but they were flexible enough that when it became clear that they needed to do something else, that they needed to find a stone, that they needed to get Moses to sit down, that they needed to just stand there and hold his, his arms up, they did that. They did whatever it took to hold Moses' arms up to make sure he made it to the finish line. Now, speaking of Moses, it takes vulnerability also to soar together. There are two things as you read the narratives of Moses that Moses seems to struggle with uh, throughout his leadership. One of them is self-doubt, right? In sort of, sort of modern uh, parlance, we might say that Moses has an imposter syndrome. The other thing he struggled with is that even though he has self-doubt, even though he doubts his ability to lead, he has a tendency to lone wolf it, wolf it every once in a while. Every once in a while you find Moses out there on his own carrying more than he should and he gets corrected for that because he starts to run on empty. He has to be reminded to share the load. And so we find him in this situation where he needs help. Where he need, not only does he need help, but he's not able to complete his part of it on his own. Man, if you struggle with self-doubt, and if you have a tendency to, to, to go at it on your own and try to prove yourself by going at it on your own, these are two like kryptonite. This is kryptonite. This is incredibly threatening to need to admit that you need help and then take your part and not be able to complete it. It could be a significant hit for him. But there's clearly some willingness in Moses to be vulnerable with Aaron and her and with Joshua. He lets them see that he's weak. He lets them see that he needs them. And then he follows their lead when they bring the rock and they lead him to sit. He doesn't fight them when they, hold his, when they hold his arms up. He doesn't say, no, 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 I got this. He lets them hold his arms up. If he wouldn't have been willing to be vulnerable in that moment, if he wouldn't have been willing to own his limits, the Israelites would have lost because the staff would have been down. He has to accept his limits in order for all of them to soar. Friends, not asking for help or not being willing to accept help is akin to clipping our wings. It keeps us from soaring. 
And after four years here at Chatham Community Church and in Chatham County, I know that that is a big challenge for us because it is part of the personality of Chatham County and it seems to sort of bleed into anyone who moves here. It's part of the personality to want to do it on your own, to want to show that you can do it on your own and to be very reticent about letting people help. Now, we'll be quick to help. We'll jump in when there's an opportunity to help, but receiving help, mm, that's another story. And it's costly. I'm reminded of how costly that can be every time I try to lift something heavy. A few years ago, I injured my back on a move. I injured my back when I was moving because I decided to carry more than I should have, more than was wise to be carried for longer periods of time because I didn't want to bother anyone with helping me move these things or carry these things. And so I injured my back and I had to be laid up and I learned to ask for help. But every once in a while, and in fact recently, Recently, I was in my house, and I wanted to move a treadmill. Now, I reason. I mean, it's an under-desk treadmill. It's not as heavy as normal treadmill. Surely, surely I shouldn't have to call someone to come help me move this treadmill. I should be able to move it on my own. Mistake. I was laid up for three days after that. Because Chatham County has gotten in me. And I'm hesitant to admit that I need help sometimes, especially when I think it's silly. And sometimes I resist receiving the help. It's not like there weren't people who had offered over the course of time, hey, you know, if you need help moving stuff around the house, just let me know. I'm right around the corner or I can make time to come in. I knew that. But there's something about Chatham County. It's costly. So right now, take a step, take a moment and assess where you are. How open are you? How comfortable are you with asking for help? And when someone perceives that you need it, even if you don't ask for it, how willing are you to receive it? How quick is your yes or how steadfast is your no? You may be limiting your ability to soar and it may be costing you something. The last thing that we see in this passage is that the power of God is the driving force for soaring together. The staff that Moses had was the instrument of God's power, the symbol of God's presence in a way. It was a tangible demonstration that God was with them and God was for them. And it is the centerpiece of this moment of soaring. It is the thing that Joshua and the army look at. It is the thing that Moses has to hold up. And it is the thing that Aaron and her want to make sure that Moses is able to continue to maintain visible for the people because that is the thing that is going to lead them into victory. Good people around us is essential. It's crucial. It's key. But when you add the power, when you add the presence of God to that, well, the sky's the limit. The sky's the limit. And it's not just true here in the Old Testament. Jesus models this over and over again. When Jesus was here, he gathered people around him. Have you ever noticed that that is an incredibly interesting thing? Jesus could have very well accomplished all he needed to accomplish on his own. He was powerful enough to do that. He could have accomplished the whole world knowing forever who he was. But when he was here, he gathered a community around him to model what soaring together looked like. He made sure that among them the power and presence of God was there, but also uh, the, the bonds of community were built. People played roles. People did things together. There was trust. There was humility. There was flexibility. And then he promised to them when he left, what he promised them was his abiding presence among not individuals, 
though in individuals, but among community. Among community. And after Jesus ascends, the early community of Jesus' followers is marked by soaring together. When you read the book of Acts, what is striking is how the community soars over and over again. And they're driven upward and onward by the power and presence of God. The power and presence of God unleashes gifts. There are signs and wonders. Barriers of hostility among peoples are broken down. More and more people are drawn and drawn in because there is a community soaring together with the power and presence of God. It is amazing. It is amazing. But here's the thing. I believe it can still happen. I believe it can still happen to this day. It may not look exactly the same like it did in the first century, but we can soar like that when we soar together with the power and presence of God. In fact, we were made to soar like that. So let's soar together. Find your people. Find your people. Build the relationships. Give and welcome trust. Be flexible, vulnerable. Be willing to do your part and be willing to receive others to do theirs and have Jesus at the center. And you will soar together. I'm going to invite the worship team to join me on stage, and I'm going to pray for us. So would you join me in prayer? Lord, I confess that I lone wolf it every once in a while. It's funny when I talk about hurting my back and lifting things, even though it was painful, but there are more crucial moments where I try to soar alone and I stumble. So Lord, I confess that and ask that you would remind me in those moments that you've given me people and that I can count on them. And I know I can because I've seen it come through. Lord, I suspect that that's true of my friends here as well for some of them. So Lord, for all of us who have a tendency to try to soar alone, would you call us into the community? into the vulnerability, into the trust. Would you remind us that we were made to soar together, that we don't need to make it harder on ourselves, that we can count on others. And Lord, would you also make it very evident that you are with us powerfully, and that your presence and your power in the midst of the communities that we build are our part of, will help us soar and soar and soar. In Jesus' name, amen.